0: Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists. In this episode of The Microscopists, I'll join with Ernst Delser, and it's really entertaining. And we hear him talk about time travel.
1: I think I wanted to go back to, to be, I wanted to be a knight or something like this, Yeah, yeah.
0: How microscopy has developed since Ernst started out in his research.
1: When when I started, we recorded four images per day, yeah.
0: And why the status quo isn't necessarily a good
1: thing. They tell you, ah, but the problem is the sample preparation. No, the problem is not the sample preparation, That's that's an opportunity.
0: And playing golf in a kilt.
1: I think it was whiskey, whiskey, we had a dram, yeah
0: all in this episode of The Microscopists. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole, and today on The Microscopists, I'm joined by by Ernst Delser from Guter University in Frankfurt. Ernst, uh, hi, how are you? Hi. Hi, Peter. How are you? No, I'm good, thank you. Uh, So... Where, where's the best place to start? Do you know, I think the best place, I've got two places I could start, actually. Uh, firstly, my first meeting with you was actually a really important time, a really important moment in my career, uh, and actually quite a few careers. And that was uh, a course at EMBL. So it was the EMBO Light Microscopy Workshops, which was a two-week intensive course. And you were there talking about 4Pi and other techniques at the time. And that was mind-blowing. It just opened my eyes to the world of microscopy and the careers and the potential going forward that it, this is really a technology going forward. And it wasn't just me. There were other people there. Uh, Claudio Lucas, uh, Oliver Rocks, uh, 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 Ricardo Henriquez. We were all on that course and mm-hmm. all truly inspired by it. it. It was brilliant. So thank you very much. I have to say, some of the technologies you talked about was quite a high level of physics, which I was struggling with during that course. And I actually remember coming down at the end of the, the seminar to ask you personal question, questions to explain it. And you were really patient. and took your time so I, so I could understand it and, and still understand it, thankfully, today. So thank you very much.
1: <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah, now I feel much better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Relax you into it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The other time uh, was actually when I was hosting Elmi uh, in York, uh, back in 2006, 2007, I can't remember exactly which, and actually one of the invited speakers to talk at it. And you didn't show up. You didn't get there. And I remember the phone call from yourself taking the voicemail thinking, oh, no, I've got this voicemail from Ernst Elser explaining Uh he couldn't make the meeting. So, would you like to explain now why you couldn't make that meeting? I
1: well, actually, we were in Valencia, I think, at that time. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was Valencia, and um, we were at a meeting. And instead of going back to Heidelberg at that time, we actually had a, a, a kind of group retreat there. And uh, unluckily, uh, there, so, as uh, several things happened, but one of the things that 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 was a complete disaster is that I had no, uh, all my um, clothes had, uh, I didn't have access to them because I gave them to the hotel to have them washed. And unluckily, there was a was a holiday. So I didn't get it. Uh, and it, and I, I would have had to purchase everything completely new for that meeting. Yeah. And I uh, that's why I actually I, I think that was one of the reasons why I canceled There was probably another one, but I can't recall that anymore it's it's quite a while ago yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's it's one of those um, there was another meeting in Ed, uh, where I was went to London and then uh, unluckily Lufthansa didn't deliver my suitcase. I remember that one very well. So that happened several times to me, but this one in, in I think in York, that was for the meeting in York, that was the was one of the worst because they, I had nothing, absolutely nothing.
0: Yeah. Like I said, that is one of the most original excuses I think we ever
1: heard. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a, yeah, but it, it's not an excuse. It was really true.
0: Yeah. No, no, your your team were backing you up on the way because they they came over, introduced themselves, and there. Uh, yeah. Also ah, made their okay, excuses. Okay.
1: Yeah, it was really bad. Yeah.
0: So. You were coming over at that point, I think to talk about 4pi and different imaging techniques. So you, I think you were at uh, Heidelberg at the time, back yes. then, if I'm I, correct? PMBL, yeah. Uh, so you've had quite a, you, you sent me a lovely image, actually, of a timeline of, I've just got to find it, of a lot of the innovations Mm-hmm. And it's kind of mind blowing to see just how many innovations you've got. There was a nice web one as well, which I, I didn't manage to get uploaded. That's a huge number of techniques in a very, in fact, some of those years have multiple techniques. I think it's 2002, <laughs> 2003, huge numbers of new innovations at the same time. Uh, you know, where did you start?
1: And how did you get there? <laughs> actually, that's a good question yeah, because I, um, what I will say is probably what a lot of people say is that they have been in the right place at the right time. Yeah, so I always thought I was quite lucky. Yeah, because I mean, I, it actually. Well, I can tell you how I got to EMBL if you. That's, because I also think that's a nice story because actually I was at um, I studied uh, physics in Frankfurt. And then I did my um, diploma thesis at the Max Planck Institute for Biophysics, which at that time was located south of the mine. And now it's on, on the northern side in Frankfurt. Yeah. And uh, I was um, introduced to inverse problems. Yeah. So because we did light scattering, dynamic light scattering, and that is a typical inverse problem, <clears throat> as, as all problems in optics are, or many problems in physics. And it was also solved by a Fredholm integral of the first kind, if I remember well. And so, so I was introduced to, to, um, to sys, uh, data analysis, essentially, signal processing. Yeah. And uh, then I started, after my diploma thesis, I started with a PhD. But I was not so happy. <laughs> yeah. And then we collaborated at that time with somebody from EMBL, but I had no clue what EMBL was at that time. And then they just started a PhD program uh, for whatever reason. And uh, then I I applied for the PhD program, I was invited, and I was among the six first people ever to do a PhD at EMBL.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, So this is near the start of EMBL doing PhDs then yes yeah yeah. I'm not sure every listener or viewer will know what EMBL is still which is truly awesome inspirational place so Ernst you've worked there so just describe what EMBL is for people
1: well I can tell you what it was for me and what it was like when I was there (laughs) um and I was there from 83 until about 2011 so that's when I was employed by EMBL yeah and um well, the abbreviation is European Molecular Biology Laboratory, and it was founded in the seventies, nineteen seventies, as a um, to somehow counter the efforts uh, in the US and uh, in, in Britain uh, in molecular biology. Yeah. So it was somehow the people always regarded it as a as a well, as a let's say, the European answer to Cold Spring Harbor Laboratories, something like this. But it's not, it's just half of the truth, of course. Yeah. But, but, and then the first person, the first director, he was actually the head of MRC at that time. So, so whole of EMBL was very British, let's put it this way, you know. Uh, uh, Even the, even the fonts that were used uh, (laughs) for the official documents were all the same as those used by MRC at that time. Yeah. So, and they, Started this graduate program, which was not typical at all for Germany. I mean, we didn't have any graduate programs at that time. Yeah, yeah. if you did a PhD, you just worked at the lab, I and mean, that was completely different. So you were really educated. Basically, we read uh, Alberts uh, for a whole year and did also a lot of uh, practicals. I have to say, it was really nice. As a PhD student, it was brilliant. Yeah, because you were really in a good, good group. Yeah.
0: So it, it is, i, I yeah, so I've, I've been to EMB, I'm fortunate to visit it many times and it is a very inspirational place and, and not so dissimilar maybe to Genelia Farm in some respects, but for the for the biological applications, your science is driving behind it. It's very innovative in itself. Uh, so I presume that's what really enabled you to, as act as a springboard for your career. But I'm, I'm gonna take you back even further now. So why is it you decided to become physicist? <laughs> I, I think I have an answer. Go on, go well, on.
1: I know that you would ask this question, yeah, because you reminded me, I, I, because I once told you I must have drunk a lot of beer that day. Um, because I wanted to build a time machine. Yeah, that was actually the reason yeah, I was 12 years old. And I was and that that I was extremely interested in theoretical physics. Yeah, I have to say that yeah, I was always very good at maths. So, uh, um, but uh, yeah, that was somehow the reason. I'm not claiming that I had any clue what physics was actually about when I was 12 years old. Yeah. But that was certainly the direction that I wanted to go and was, I never doubted it. I always wanted to study physics and I always wanted to become a theoretical physicist. Yeah.
0: So, so the next question, <clears throat> which is fairly obvious, is you were fascinated by the mass physics, but also inventing a time machine is quite specific. So why is it? You wanted to invent a time machine,
1: because I think I wanted to go back to, to be. I wanted to be a knight or something like this. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so right.
0: You yeah. sent this picture. So yeah, you- I
1: sent you this. That was Age of Empires. Yeah, but I would, wasn't thinking about the time machine actually. Yeah, yeah, but that is one of those games that I used to. This picture is actually from a game that I played uh, with my son. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you're still oh. fascinated.
1: Actually, I now play it with my grandson. <laughs> We just played it last week, so we had a Zoom session. I played and he watched me play and told me what to do. (laughs)
0: Who are you really playing this game for, yourself or your grandson?
1: Um, I have to say, I'm not playing it for myself anymore. I used to, of course, but um, I mean, I, I started playing this game probably 30 years ago and I don't know exactly how old it is, but I'm quite sure it must be about 30 years old now yeah and uh, there's a kind of revival so there are new versions and i used to play it with my son so we really set up little networks here in the house yeah or we also met with friends and set up networks there and then there were groups of five six people playing this game yeah and there were always two adults yeah me and uh, another fr- a father of another guy or another boy a friend of my son yeah and we played that yeah.
0: so- but you're still fascinated by the realm of the knights and that era.
1: Yeah, well, I would say it's it's not as important anymore as it might have been. Yeah.
0: So does that mean you've given up on inventing a time machine?
1: I actually gave up. Yeah. I think I have invented a kind of time machine, the only one that really works. Yeah, so so the only thing that has worked until now is moving into the future at a rate of about 24 hours per day. Yeah. <laughs> So but moving backwards is credit a credit
0: the creation of the earth.
1: Well, it's up to you to decide, but uh, I think you get it, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's bit, well, it's I the same think.
1: as becoming an astronaut, astronaut yeah, because if you, you everybody we're all astronauts in a certain sense, yeah. We're all moving through space, yeah. I'm moving around the sun, so well. It's a bit depressing, yeah. It's not the same as <laughs> like flying when to another planet.
0: Found yourself. <laughs> Sorry? I like the way you're consoling yourself and never inventing a time machine or becoming an astronaut.
1: What should I do? You know, so I'm. I'm you know, I I was always interested in astronomy and be trying to be an astronaut. I, I don't know if I wanted to be an astronaut, but flying to other uh, planets or stars or something like this. But I have absolutely, I admit it, no hope whatsoever. Yeah, it makes no sense to fly to Mars. Yeah, or to have a station on Moon or. S- Anything, yeah. I, I'm not. I I love the exploration of the solar system. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So I think, and I'm. I was always looking forward to a, to a, to a flight to Europe, uh, to, to Europa, to Europa. Yeah. Yeah. Or now E. O. Or something like this. But just uh, just to see if there's anything below the ice. That's about as far as it goes. And I, I personally, I think that you can fly there, but you should never come back. The same also with Mars. Yeah? I, if the people want to fly to Mars, fine, but I just hope they will never, ever come back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why?
1: Well, if there has been life, who knows? There might be some, some viruses or some other objects that they can bring back. I, I don't think that is totally out of the question.
0: No, yeah. no. No, I, I would not disagree. It's definitely yeah. not totally out of the question. I, I should get you to have this argument with Eric Betsy because he, he's actually very keen to, to go to other planets.
1: Well, I th- as I said, as a, as a, I also think we should explore other planets, but I don't think that at the moment I don't really see how humans can actually fly to another planet. I really don't see that. Yeah. And and I think and and it's it's not. And, and it, I mean, if you just look at the radiation levels, yeah, that people are, would be exposed to on a flight to Mars or once they're on Mars or if they're on Moon or so, the radiation radiation levels are so high, it's The chances are very, very low that that people will really survive that. So unless you find some really nice new techniques, and you have to find water, and you might have to find a cave or whatever, people. A lot of people probably have lost, watched the Marsian. So you probably have you, but I have. So that's about.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that that'll put me off space exploration forever. I'm. I'm no. I'm. I'm, I like being on this 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 bit of (laughs) Earth. I'm not that keen to get blasted off somewhere else. (laughs)
1: <laughs> there's probably no better place than this one here. Yeah.
0: No, although I think there's some people who might think I would be uh, quite welcome to be blasted off to another planet. Well,
1: they probably think that about, about me too. Yeah. So, yeah. so why don't you go off and uh, stay on moon or something, yeah? or hide in a cave?
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> so, coming back to science for a minute, your your early career was very much around that development of optics, going super resolution microscopy, and later moved into light sheet as well actually probably starting if i'm right back in the very early days of confocal yes so that's quite a lot if you've gone from confocal to four pi and the super resolution side through to light sheet uh for real enabling in vivo what is motivating you to be developing in these directions you you, world of physics you can go all sorts but you really moved into life science i'm sure that isn't because you're a failed physicist because you never invented a time machine i'm sure it's because you're passionate so what is your passion and interest why what's your motivation here
1: i think it has always changed i would say so first of all it was it was tough to to master it yeah i mean you should not forget um there are companies out there who've been building optics for hundreds of years, for 100 years, and there are several of them, and they're doing that quite successful. Yeah? So you have to be at least as good as them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, actually, that's something I tell everybody. So um, a lot of people ask me if they want to build a light sheet microscope. They want to build a light sheet microscope. And I always tell them, why, why don't you build a, a regular fluorescence microscope first and compare the pictures you get with that? To those that you get from a conventional system, yeah, okay. And if you if you're better, okay, then continue, yeah. Because there's nothing you ha- you have to build all that anyway. In the, in, maybe in a slit different arrangement or so. Um, but the motivation is always different, yeah. Because in the very beginning, I mean, it, there are a lot of things that you have to do. You have to understand the optics, you know, the lasers. Yeah, you, know? um, you have to understand the electronics, and then we had um, sensors photo multipliers. I mean everything seems so easy nowadays. But you see, you shouldn't forget we just purchased the the photo multiplier and we built the, all, the, all the electronics ourselves. Yeah. Or even the, the image processing. Yeah. I mean it was not as if you could purchase an image processing package. Yeah. I mean when we when I started we recorded four images per day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was the best we could do at that time. That's how I started. Yeah. So maybe in the entire course of my PhD, I probably recalled something like two to three thousand pictures. Yeah, but uh, and then later on, we recorded—I don't know—I remember we had a day where we recorded thirty thousand pictures, and that's that's somehow what I remember. And then I realized, good, what a what a huge difference that was, difference that was. So I think that's one thing that motivates me or motivated me for many times and still does to a certain extent. And the other one was also to get these applications to work. Yeah, so trying to look at cells, yeah, uh, making sure that they survive it, uh, or maybe looking at different dyes and so on and so on. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that happened in these uh, that we did and that we changed, and it's probably not people are probably not aware of it.
0: You say you know, build build a microscope better than manufacturers. You've got to be one step ahead of them. Um, No, no, no.
1: I didn't say that. You have to be at least as good. That's what I said so i don't think there's any better yeah
0: uh, but there's still a very so just just for air of confusion so i know exactly where you're coming from with this it isn't because you want to build a microscope that is at least as good as one that exists it's because actually what you're building is what doesn't exist yes what you what you are what you invent has to be better than what already exists correct
1: that's exactly the whole point and it has to fulfill a reasonable purpose in my opinion yeah so it doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's exactly what you say. Because if you also look at it, all the things that you, you that you showed, <laughs> it's not as if we purchased an instrument and then slightly modified it. Yeah, but basically every instrument was built from scratch. Yeah, so so uh, from a block of metal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and also the light sheet microscope. I mean, I showed you, I sent you a few pictures. Yeah.
0: yeah so he he his
1: yeah that was certainly not a modified confocal microscope from Zeiss, yeah, or from Leica or so that is really completely built from scratch yeah uh, And also these other microscopes, this this DSLM that we built, yeah, this monolithic device that is really uh, built from a single block of aluminium, yeah so and we, this, we, we really is completely newly designed, yeah. not this one that you show, but, but uh, I, sh- I, I sent you also another picture. Uh,
0: nice. you know. There were, were lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: and this, <laughs> and this one, yeah, yeah, that was actually a combined four pi theta microscope, yeah.
0: I, I did, I, I just particularly like this one because it shows just the amount of engineering precision that has to go on in the build, yeah, copy. Um, and
1: it, it's also completely pre calculated, yeah, because if you, if you see, there's no um, we really let's say drilled little holes in which we put pins and uh, threads <laughs> and then we just mounted the stuff there yeah so it is there's hardly any adjustment required yeah otherwise it would never work if you had to adjust it we would fail completely in these systems yeah, yeah. And yet, uh,
0: if i just go to the next one yeah. this looks more like a commercial system
1: that is a yeah. That's a Zeiss um, LSFM seven hundred and eighty. Yeah, yeah. That's from the from 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 Frankfurt.
0: Yeah, okay. behind
1: that is actually the interesting part because there's a a really nice um, laser behind that, but uh, you cannot see it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll no, this. no, no. There's no way. It's it's really behind the microscope. Yeah. It's
0: a lovely artistic picture, but for the commercial setup. And you, when you can compare the commercial setup and actually it's really nicely posed with the shadows and looking very calm and serene and then we look at a home built an innovative project it looks quite scary and to an end user as a biologist you talked about the applications and the importance of applications this would scare a lot of people off
1: that so- did scare a lot of people let's put it this way yeah so that is not a device which you build in order to do some serious applications. I mean, we looked at uh, mouse embryos in this microscope. Yeah. So um, that's, what, what we, what, that's what we tried. I'm not saying that we were really successful. If you look carefully on the left-hand side, um, you actually see um, a glass fiber, yeah, which was mounted to this uh, stage yeah, on the left side. Uh, and we attached little objects to that and put that into the um, sample holder inside. That's that's, what is, that's as far as we got with this. You know? but, but you see, the, the idea there was to see, can we get any further with 4 pike? does this theta concept work, and all these things. And that's what we managed to do. Yeah. But uh, it was absolutely clear that this was not, had nothing to do with the confocal microscopes. The confocal microscopes that we built at the same time were really addressed. They, re, they were really used uh, at EMBL. Yeah. I don't think EMBL purchased any commercial confocal until the mid-90s. Yeah. Until then, all the confocal microscopes were built by our group. And we also wrote the software and whatever had to be done at that time.
0: Yeah. But, uh, but the importance of... So to a couple... Well, actually, many of your innovations have been commercialized. Some
1: uh, of them have been, yes, yes.
0: In part or in full, uh, in yes. some cases. Yeah. Uh, the importance of that... Would you like to comment on the importance of you know inventing it and people can copy what you do in their own labs but there's a very big importance to commercializing or, or getting someone like zeiss jpk to take your system and commercialize it so why is that so important
1: well i have to admit i'm not entirely sure if it's so important yeah i mean <laughs> uh, i mean for if, if, if you work for a company, I would say patenting is very important and if you have a good collaboration with a company and for many years we had a very good collab, very good relationship with Zeiss and they patent it and then you can be sure that it will actually be used. Yeah? But you cannot always be sure that it will be used. Yeah? So that is the, the problem. Also as a private person even as for a university patenting something and then you have, may have to wait for 10 or 12 years until it becomes a product that is just too long. I don't think that makes any sense. So, you have to be really careful about that. What do you patent, and do you have a plan for how to take advantage of it? So, I've been doing that several times, as you mentioned, but, uh, uh, and I've probably been lucky because it has been more than once. Yeah. Um, Because most people probably have patents, but they've never ever made any money with it. Yeah. (laughs) So, that is definitely not the case. But uh, I think in, In general you have to really give it a good thought whether it's worth it i mean even in 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 medicine or in biology or so i mean you might have found a target yeah or you might have identified a nice protein that you would like to work on because or you find something that you think it's a drug so let's face it it will take you 10 15 years yeah and you may have to convince somebody for two or three years and by that time your patent is 15 16 17 years old and then Are you going to make any money of that?
0: that, That's a really good point and it's one I've spoken to Tony Wilson about in the past one of the biggest problems with any certainly in the world of microscopy anything that's really innovative and I think maybe less so today but certainly historically is getting it to be adopted by biologists and I, I would say actually in defense of the commercial companies it's the only way to get it to have its maximum impact So it can be sold to lots of universities lots of research institutes around the world and for them to be supported uh, people users trained on it engineers to come and fix it because obviously one lab can't do that Uh, and that's and so actually your your innovations have enabled uncountable research projects to be started probably research projects you never thought would be possible but for you to succeed you had to get biology started on the microscope to prove it was needed how difficult a challenge was that
1: that that was actually what we spent most time on at EMBL so uh, that's that's also something that i'm trying to convince the people that that you have to have a kind of culture yeah so you have to have a kind of a, a number a certain number of users who are interested in using it and who really put all the faith into this technology and um uh, and use it for their career <laughs> and we were extremely lucky I have to say there were a lot of people who used it really so I I, I will not uh, drop any names now because I'm quite sure I'll forget a number but there were several who really really put their career into it and then and, and they they continued with this after they left EMBL um, and then we, we spent a lot of work actually understanding how to prepare specimens. I mean, you know, nowadays it may seem so obvious, yeah. Because, it, but, it, but at that time, many techniques actually flattened the specimen, yeah, so so everything collapsed, yeah, uh, because you wanted a nice, good picture in a conventional microscope. Yeah? You were not prepared to do three D, yeah. And then, we there were we had people, uh, and i mentioned at least one name, Robert Bacalau, and. Uh, Babakalau and and he really, he he brought us pictures. I showed him it didn't work. It was completely flat. And then he went back and he looked at his protocols. And then he looked for protocols that produced pictures that were not nice. <laughs> and at least and in some cases this was because they they survived the they did, didn't collapse so they were really main, were maintained in 3D and that was also the reason why we worked a lot with live specimens because we were could be sure that they would not uh, fall apart so we really had to work for di- with dyes or look for dyes that way you, which you could insert into a live specimen so of course we had antibody labeling yeah? monoclonal antibodies became very popular during that period <clears throat> but um, yeah that was one thing
0: And and I I guess also fluorescent proteins, uh, if you look where you were in your career, mid-90s coming into the noughties as well, fluorescent proteins were really making big impacts. Uh, Absolutely. In fact, I don't think microscopy could be as successful without fluorescent proteins.
1: I totally agree.
0: (laughs) I would argue fluorescent proteins would never have been successful or as successful without microscopy and its innovations.
1: Um. The latter I'm not entirely sure, because I mean fluorescent proteins are also used in mass spectroscopy and <clears throat> many others uh, techniques, uh, so I'm not quite sure whether you really would need them there um, yeah' not mass spectroscopy, but 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 yeah but but other but techniques. certainly yeah, like yeah
0: microscopy, where they've had their fundamental enabling aspects to it. In yeah, a yeah, way yeah. That is-
1: yeah, but you see, that's also. I mean, we we started with. Um, I had a PhD student Jamie White, yeah, and uh, he actually introduced GFP to EMBL. So so he was in my group. He was a PhD student in my group, and we we contacted Roger Chen at that time because I mean you couldn't purchase it, and he sent us everything, and we talked to him on the phone several times, um, and uh, then we used it. We expressed it in bacteria and later on in cells also, Uh, unluckily not initially in live cells, but uh, we had to fix the cells at that time, but nevertheless we later on was also in live cells. And, um, uh, and I have to say, the the biologists were not waiting for him, you know. <laughs> so, so it was we talked about it and said, well, people, oh well, is there a difference? Is it not the same as autofluorescence and something like this? It was a really weird situation. I also invited Roger Chen to EMBL and it was a disaster. Yeah. People didn't want to talk to him. Yeah. So so in the end, I was the only one who went out with him for dinner after the talk. Yeah. So we we we, we moved through Heidelberg at, during the night. And that was it. And it was much, much later, only that people really appreciated it. It's, it's,
0: it's, it's
1: I don't know, it, 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 it's funny in hindsight, but at that time it was a bit depressing. Yeah, <laughs> so.
0: Well, I guess that's very, so obviously he got his Nobel Prize, shadow prize for his work in fluorescent proteins and just how that's enabled, life, life cell imaging really does enable so much. But it's amazing that he equally struggled then to get people to accept his chemistry You're having people struggling to accept the microscopy approach, because it's not a classic, put it on a cover slip and image it flat. It's those difficulties that I guess many of the generation coming, the new scientists coming through today will not have appreciated just how much hard work it must have been to get people to accept that the light sheet as a concept, a big commercial product to, to get fluorescent proteins that you're imaging within it are now commonplace.
1: Exactly. But at that time, as I said, I mean, we're talking about years. Yeah. I mean, also with light sheet microscopy, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're extremely lucky that we had people at EMBL and we had a group that actually tried to express GFP in Drosophila. They were successful. And uh, it was just in the lab next to where our microscope was situated, that room. So we really just had to really go out of the, out of the lab Uh, out of the the yeah out of the lab into another lab ask the person to give us this and then we could put it into the microscope because otherwise we i i don't think we would have been successful getting the dyes into the specimens yeah but but since the specimen itself expressed the gfp we had a 3d label yeah and that made a huge and the pictures were so much better than that than the ones that they could get of course with their confocal microscope so it was that was, I, I'm not telling you it's, it was easy. You, know, you still had to do a lot of convincing. Yeah, but but I really did that. I mean, I really, I mean, you see, I we, we built the instrument and I gave a, a special talk just to internally, I, I really tried to collect a few people and, and then I told them what we had. And then that time what we there were two techniques that we pushed And One was um, laser cutters and the other one was light sheet microscopy. And then I really convince the people and it was on a, on a personal basis in order to, to invest something <laughs> into this and one of them was Jochen Wittbrod, with whom we then published the the two papers in science in 2004 and 2008 yeah but but he had to be convinced yeah and he, and we had to make sure that at a certain time he would also make an investment in the group yeah? so he had to invest in a student or a PhD student or in a project or something like this so it was yeah. That's it, but it, it didn't happen by itself, yeah.
0: No, so I guess a, a good point, you know, a scientist, being a good scientist is one thing, but you have to do so many other aspects to succeed in it. The tenacity, the salesmanship, the, the publications demonstrating your science, proving your science to others and getting others to accept it can be a very difficult task. And I say when you look back, back in time, it seems daft that anyone would ever have questioned it, But you know, as with most innovations, fluorescence, but epifluorescence, I think was questioned at the start. Uh, microscopy was probably questioned way back. I, we can't go back that far to ask those questions very easily, but uh, well, when you invented your time machine, maybe we can go and ask and see just how difficult. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, uh, at the what? moment I just have to remember and I'm, I'm 40 years back, you know, don't forget this. I mean, if I think about it, you know, we started in the eighties and now we have 2020, yeah. We may not have a flying car, yeah, or um, we don't move through the, through, we still have roads, yeah, which I thought would be gone by the year 2000, yeah, but they still, still here, yeah, but um, we have light sheet microscopy, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And we still got DeLoreans, I think.
1: Oh Well, but they, they also move forward in time at a speed of 24 hours per day, yeah.
0: That's 88 miles an hour. Wasn't it? Was it eighty-eight miles per hour? Or two? Yeah, I
1: think it's even faster, actually, because you, around the sun we're moving at thirty kilometers per second. Yeah? So
0: I'll let your physics work out exactly how far the car. How fast it, it depends on the direction of the car. Then, so let's. That's true. Yeah. So oh, you I can always know. add or
1: subtract these eighty kilometers. Yeah, yeah.
0: So or eighty all miles. Yeah. Uh, all the challenges in work. What do you do outside of work to relax?
1: What I do outside of work relax. I have to say, at the moment, I think I do. I work too much. <laughs> yeah so i don't relax as much as i i should yeah but what i like to do it right now yeah, there's that's the golf yeah so we i used to do that for quite a while and i still do it with my wife yeah
0: i i did not notice and i've only just noticed you're wearing a skirt yes well okay strictly speaking for those who are not actually watching this a kilt uh it's a kilt and yeah drinking, lager beer
1: no I, th- I think it was whiskey whiskey we had a dram
0: yeah I, I, I second-guessed you on that one. So. No,
1: no. Uh, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just have a a cup of tea. I'm sorry if I... Uh...
0: Yeah, No, no, I, I actually, don't worry. It's, it's actually... It's, I'm not drinking this time of day. It's actually a uh, cold tea.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, boring. Yeah. Sensible, uh, though. I think. <laughs> oh, we, that was a was a fun tournament, and we dressed up as, as Scots. Yeah, yeah.
0: Ah, so you were dressing up as Scotsman? For yes.
1: it? Well, I'm not a Scotsman, so okay. I had to dress up as a Scotsman, yeah. And we so purchased how, those kilts, yeah.
0: How traditional were you wearing the kilt?
1: How traditional? Yeah. Well, we were, we're not experts in kilts. Kilt. Well, it had to look Scottish to the to the other Germans participating in the tournament. I would say that's as far as it, we went, yeah.
0: So, so, so you were properly kitted underneath and not...
1: We were definitely kitted underneath, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you have to be careful.
0: So so what is your handicap? Do you have a handicap?
1: I have a handicap, yeah. It's about thirteen, thirteen point six or something like this. Yeah. So it's not so bad. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not claiming that I play it every day. So. so and the rules have changed now for calculating the handicap. So so basically every game that you play now has to be countered towards your handicap, yeah, or against your handicap. Yeah. But you're you're not a golfer. So always- yeah.
0: Yeah, you are not a golfer. I've got a nephew that's a pro golfer, that oh. stuff. But uh, no, I, I've watched them play. They're very good. <laughs> uh, they're incredibly good, actually. They're, their skills, uh, just their vision. They can they can watch someone draw the swing back, and they they'll tell you in your ear, just go. This is where the ball's going. It's incredible that their eye for detail. But yeah. personally, I can lay claim that I found nearly as many balls as I lost on the game of golf I played. Wow but that well, was a I, lot. I
1: probably lost more game balls than I ever found but yeah uh, well it's no plus definitely not <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what else do you do outside of work to relax at
1: the moment i i i, I cycle a lot so i have a Ooh. <clears throat> a bicycle now a new one an electric bicycle so i'm, I'm using that i, I really enjoy oh. that very much because it's very hilly here so that really it's like a range extender that's the way i see it was
0: yeah. <laughs> about to say does that count if your exercise is going out and it's an electric bike
1: it's it's it you still have to cycle so it's yeah. i think a misunderstanding so you really have to cycle and trust me it's very hilly where i live so so if i if i really want to just drive on a flat course, um, it's over within a few kilometers. So, and then I really have to cycle uphill. And now I'm, I'm cycling up hills that I would have never, ever cycled with a regular bike. Yeah. So I, I've been on truly wild tours by now, yeah, with this bicycle, yeah, it's, I'm still amazed, yeah. Yeah, so also in, uh, I also took it to Frankfurt and went up in the town of to Saalberg, Saalburg. I mean, those people, people who may know it, it's, it's really a ride uphill. Yeah, so I did that now several times and I really enjoyed that also very much.
0: Yeah. So I have, I actually had a question. I was, uh, sorry, I don't have a script, but I did have one question for you because you also sent this picture talking of bicycles. Yeah, that's true. This is a, a picture of you quite young.
1: Yes, I'm on and- the guy on the left side. Yeah.
0: And with a bike, which looks like five of you are sharing one bicycle,
1: yeah <laughs> so actually the they are the two guys um with the same shirt, yeah, so they are my cousins, yeah, yeah, and uh, the other two are my sisters, yeah ah. yeah and uh and they came over for a long holiday, so you actually my my mother's British, yeah, so she's english, she's from from warrington and uh and we used to go. And visit her there and that was one of those i think that was the only year that we did not go to the to to england uh, but rather my grandmother came and she took the, the cousins along yeah so they stayed with us for a summer or so
0: yeah and as
1: you can see we all wear these uh lederhosen yeah
0: yeah
1: all of them but that was absolutely normal in that time it was really
0: you didn't wear that when you visited warrington
1: I actually was one of the worst things that I ever did as a kid because there was nothing else I had at that time. And I walked through these pants and everybody recognized me as a German, you know, and then I was greeted as a as a Nazi and everybody <laughs> said, Heil Hitler to me or whatever. <laughs> so I'm not joking. I think it was the first time in my life that I was really mobbed. Yeah. Or the only time really that I can remember, but it was not nice.
0: <laughs> so, oh, dear. So, it's, yeah, but, so it's- it wasn't yeah so you actually was proper abuse not just joking abuse it was it was proper yeah
1: i I was never people were not nobody beat me up or so yeah but they they made fun of it yeah but i i really cannot remember that i was depressed or so i was just probably a bit annoyed yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. again how times have changed yeah Uh, as, as time goes through and tolerance and everything as well but yeah, Warrington. No, have Warmington times really again?
1: changed? Are people really more tolerant now than they were? I doubt it. Yeah. I
0: like to think so. But my question actually was do you remember your first bicycle? No. No? Oh, it was worth a shot. And so just while we want some old pictures, you also sent this picture of yourself and your two sisters and
1: my grandfather.
0: Yeah. It was a <laughs> lovely picture. I, I couldn't get, so I couldn't <laughs> upload all the pictures, but it was a lovely picture
1: yeah, I still have good memories of him. Yeah. He was he was a chemist, he had a PhD in chemistry. So he was in the First World War. And then he came back and then he studied chemistry. And he also told me about it. And he actually took care of me. So I have to say I, it was was um, a bit tough in a certain sense, you know, because uh, other kids went at home, and I had to go to my grandfather twice a week. And he was not satisfied with the homework. So he, I had to do much, much more homework. But the other, on the other hand, he really took care of his grandchild, and we did all sorts of things. He, we talked about chemistry and physics. or I even remember that he brought along some Swedish texts, and we together tried to translate them, which I still think nowadays was nice. And then he was also convinced that I should not only learn how to read Latin, but also how to speak it. So yeah.
0: <laughs> Who would you say was your... Was he one of the, your inspirations, one of the reasons that you got into science to start with? Do you think <clears throat> it back is actually it's probably his influence that, that took you in this direction?
1: I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't, at least not consciously. But, but I, what I still appreciate is the way that he explained things, You know that he just didn't just tell me something, but it was more like guiding me towards the answer. Yeah, you know, like asking a little, I mean, asking a question here, asking a question there, something like this, and then, well, just making sure that that I somehow came up with the answer myself. Yeah, I think that's what he certainly did. So it was, was, that was actually good. It was not really what you would expect. Yeah, so a lot of people would always think, well, that's, in the old times, people just drilled you to learn and to know everything or so, but that is, I cannot claim that was the case. I was really like guiding you. yeah, yeah so, Telling you how to think in a certain sense. Yeah.
0: So who would you say have been your inspirations in your career? Oh. Inside or outside of work? Who's been your inspirations?
1: I was I can't tell you the inspirations. Well, I'm not so sure you know, because I, I there are certainly people that impressed me. I have to say Tom Jovin. Always impressed me. I met him when I was very young, so I, because he was a friend of my boss in um, in uh, in, um, in Frankfurt at the Max Planck Institute. Because my my, my boss at that time Ernst Grell, he actually also came from Göttingen, so so he to Frankfurt, and uh, he so he knew Tom Jovin quite well, and I was always impressed because I always think this guy always did something, and, and you know I, I was of course very young, and I thought he was extremely old, yeah. Uh, and uh and i was impressed that 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 he was so old and he still did new things you know <laughs> so, yeah well <laughs> and uh th- that somehow impressed me i have to say that you know? yeah, so but uh apart from that there are probably other people also yeah you know? but I, I it's not that i that i have pictures of them here on my walls or so and then i permanently think about them
0: yeah <laughs> okay i'd be slightly unnerved if that was the case. <laughs> Yeah, But I do notice you've got a, a couple of... I guess they're not Muppets, but they look like Muppets in the background.
1: Yeah, they're from my grandchildren.
0: Yeah. Uh, so how much time do you spend with your grandchildren? You like your grandfather's stuff, do you get much yeah, time? Yeah, not as much.
1: Not as much, no, no. At the moment, it's a bit unlucky. The last time we saw them was over just the week after Christmas. And, uh, and then we talk regularly on FaceTime or on Zoom or so. And then I told you last week... For the very first time, we also played uh, Age of Empires in a Zoom session. Yeah? But that's—I also we, we do some other things, but we spend much less time than we should, yeah? or that we would like to. Let's put it this way: yeah? so last year, we no last year was a problem, but the year before we spent much much more time with the kids.
0: Yeah. You know? So I, I remember a few years ago talking to you, and that was one of your. Uh, was one of your? I guess one of your most important interest outside of work was your grandchildren
1: yes Uh, i still think that's the case and so so we we unluckily we cannot communicate with them so often but i have to say it's a constant topic (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. so how good is he? how well is he doing in school and and then my my daughter tells us about the football or whatever so so whatever
0: (laughs) So, so do you follow do you follow any sport any team sports or any other sports then
1: well, I probably follow football every Saturday yeah,
0: yeah,
1: or during the week. Uh, so there are two teams that I follow a little bit. Yeah. Which are? Uh, TSG Hoffenheim, which is just um, down the road,
0: yep.
1: five kilometers from here, or less than five kilometers. And then the other one is Frankfurt. Yeah, But I think that is more my, my wife's team. But she's not here in the room, so she doesn't hear it, Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, so you didn't have to say that then, so that's fine. Uh, no. Going back to the career. Uh, yeah, you you worked very closely with Stefan hell for some time so what was that like what was the relationship like you know how did that come about what's the history of that
1: ah well he was a uh, he actually did his phd in frankfurt uh, sorry in heidelberg at the at the at the um, university there and um then he also worked with um, in the company of Rolf finance von resan if i remember well and Rolf, Rolf wall von resan he had been the boss Uh, my first boss at embl then but then he left and i became the group leader and um, then he told me that there's this guy stefan and uh, he's very good and if i wasn't interested in having him as a as a postdoc in my lab and then stefan came along and uh, then we talked about some projects and one of them was for pi microscopy and that was of interest because that had been a project that we'd been working on before. Yeah. So it was not as that he brought it, but we had already started we also had a device. But um we realized at that time it was much, much too complicated to get the interference work going. So so I always thought that could be an interesting project. And we also knew that in principle you could improve the resolution. And then we started with that. So yeah. And then at the same time in a totally different project, we also had purchased a, a two photon laser yeah so because we, we i mean even when you look at what you in the eu you saw this timeline yeah. but actually the major stuff was always building confocal fluorescence microscopes yeah and uh, so so they were working at that time and we also added um, one of those lasers to a confocal fluorescence microscope and then he was in my group for almost three years. So it's not as if he just popped in and popped out. But we published about ten papers together, and he was in the group for, for I think three years. Yeah, almost, not exactly, but almost three years. Yeah.
0: So, so you can lay claim that uh, Stephen Hall is one. Stephen Hall is one of your protege that's now outside in the microscopy. Yeah, world. yeah
1: definitely, definitely. I don't think that he would say that. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, because the is the Sid. The relationship deteriorated, yeah, yeah, because I he's very very ambitious, and he's always afraid, uh, or at least at that time he was that somebody else would would uh, claim claim the honor for, for for certain projects. But so that was a bit weird, I would say. Yeah, so um,
0: yeah, and things now.
1: Well, we talk to each other, but what do we talk about? Kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not football, man. Uh, I'm not sure. No, last time we met, uh, I think the last time we met must have been in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the last time we met. But since then, I have not seen him. Yeah. Well, I see him every now and then, of course, but that's not so often. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. In the world, unless he's conferences, there isn't much opportunity to meet many people. Uh, really. So it's always within those conferences that we get there. So do you class yourself as a physicist or a biologist?
1: I think I'm still a physicist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm somehow afraid because there are certain topics that interest me a lot. And at the moment, it's definitely getting a better understanding for signal to noise and uh, certain aspects. I mean, I have to say, we're doing a lot of biology of course yeah and um, uh, and we're I think we're really deep in biology <laughs> at the moment very very deep in in several topics um, and uh, I have to be interested in that otherwise we would not be able to do that yeah so and um, but um, but I always try to also see it from a physicist's point of view so from a phys- yeah yeah so from a mathematical point of view let's put it this way yeah
0: so throughout your career what what have you what what, what period do you find the most difficult or challenging time throughout your career
1: oh, difficult or challenging i have to i don't know really because i think it's always the the um the presence the, yeah. the present times these are always the most difficult ones yeah, yeah. I, I still also i also think that right now Yeah, so, but at the moment, I'm more concerned with, am I doing the right stuff? Let's put it this way. Yeah, so that's a real concern of mine. Yeah. So I do a lot, and I I work on a lot of things, and and I'm not trying, I'm not wasting my time, probably, I'm not playing any games, or uh, also, I'm not watching movies, also, uh, to a large extent. So even if I go on YouTube, I probably watch, I don't know, the latest... uh, a uh, video by Wolfram on Mathematica issues yeah, or something like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I'm offended you're not watching The microscopists.
1: I... <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I,
1: I watch one tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a promise. Yeah. No, but yeah, because, I always think the, because, present, the present time is always the most complicated.
0: We, we, which I think is good to hear, actually, because yeah, you've got every reason to be super confident in your work. Uh, you can look back with great honor and pride. Uh, with what you achieved today and yet still you're worried that you might be taking a misstep or something that isn't going to be mainstream or as as, as, as impactful as what you've done before and I think it's incredible that you still have that that fear that worry it's, it's not a
1: fear, fear. But it's also let's say there's also part of it is also disappointment yeah yeah because I you know I'm you don't get any credit for being right in the past. Yeah. Because I mean, there's something like, you know, uh, I always think there are various stages, and amongst them is that people don't care. Yeah. Or they tell you it's not important or it's complete bullshit or rubbish or whatever. Yeah. And then people accept it. Yeah. And there are probably various other stages, and, and in the end, it's their idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, and if you achieve that, then you know, well, okay, then it must have not been so stupid. And I have experienced this more than once. Yeah. So I'm really surprised by this. Some, um, you know, and, and there's this saying that uh, uh, success uh, or, or, or uh, failure is an orphan. Yeah. But success has many fathers. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, and that's a German saying. I'm not quite sure whether you can translate this as. Oh,
0: that translates perfectly
1: perfectly but you get the idea yeah so so in the very beginning it's just well it just changes and that has happened various times yeah and it and and it's and there are also some grants which i applied for which i still think were absolutely brilliant but they were not funded yeah and then we we had we we just, we did it yeah but and which proves us right or me right or whatever yeah but that doesn't help me. Yeah, I mean, what what am I supposed to do? Yeah? <laughs> Go take the grant and slap it into somebody's face and tell them, see, it has worked. Nevertheless, although you did not fund me, and this is not has happened several times, and I always think it's also a serious problem. If you really want to be ahead of your times, then you just have to accept this. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that people don't understand you or that they don't believe you yeah, or that they don't regard something as important. Yeah? You know, don't forget, I mean, I, you, you mentioned this before, I, I started with confocal fluorescence microscopy, but at that time, it, it filled the whole room. Yeah? The laser was huge. Yeah? yeah, And then going to a lab and telling the people, ah, I think in a few years, a confocal microscope will be in every lab, yeah? because I know that for a fact, people said, this guy is absolutely crazy. Yeah, we're never going to fit this into this room. But that was not the way that we saw it. Not only me, but many other people too. Yeah, they they realized it was it was just a device. And the same was with light sheet microscopy. Yeah, to don't forget. I mean, I've been through this several times. Yeah? Light sheet microscopy is the same. Yeah, you have, you permanently had to convince the people. They permanently. They, even nowadays they tell you, yeah, but the problem is the sample preparation. No, the problem is not the sample preparation. That's a that's an opportunity yeah you can do it differently, yeah you don't have to do it on cover slips for Christ's sake, yeah do it in a natural manner, yeah keep it in keep it in three d maintain it, yeah M- keep it viable yeah <laughs> that's that's the way you should see it, but that's not the way that people see it, yeah they see it as well, but all my peers use this and this, and they work on that, yeah. And if, you, if and I now follow your line, well, but then I have to convince my peers. And then, of course, I have to make all sorts of controls and end up the same work. And am I going to be able to publish it? Yeah. Okay. That's, so and that's it. Yeah. And then I mean, you have to overcome this. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say had so, these discussions more than once. Yeah.
0: So, so when you walked in and you were suggesting these things, I, I would argue you were seen as the clown of a. Of, of, of the field at the time, beautiful picture of you, must have been one, two years old, maybe?
1: I, I uh, probably two years,
0: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could walk and stand, yeah. Wonderful picture. But yeah, I guess it was a bit like that. You'd, you'd have felt like a clown saying these absurd things and people weren't listening, uh, and yet you were proven right. Which I'm not- To the don't, end.
1: Don't, don't, I'm not telling you that everything was right, but I, I think oh, in general, I, I was quite right, yeah,
0: yeah. But the other thing is quite interesting. There was two things. One is the failure of getting a grant and just accepting that some grants that you know or you feel fundamentally are good and are right that, that aren't successful but for whatever reason, in some cases just because there's other ideas and that panel thought it was better at the time and it doesn't get pushed. You keep going at it and you will get the funding. If it's going to be right, you'll get there. But you also mentioned how the academics were risk averse. But, of course, they're scared that if they try to adopt a new technology with new labelling processes, it's going to take time. And that time means they're going to publish not as quickly. And it might not work. It's a gamble. And if it doesn't work, they've lost a year, two years, maybe even three years of not being able to publish, which means getting their next grant is more difficult. And I think that's an academic... it's hard, it's hard to describe it's a very it's high risk stakes your career can 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 go very rapidly if you do, if you're not always succeeding and maybe that's a problem with the way the academic community works
1: um uh, uh, that's what i think uh, we, we are missing a lot of opportunities because a lot of people don't take any risks
0: yeah. but those who do take the risk if it succeeds uh, we, be... we,
1: you don't know about all those people who failed Yeah, Yeah. they take a risk and they fail. I mean, whom do we know? I mean, you you go to an American lab and you see 10 postdocs. So how many of them are you going to see five years later? Yeah. Maybe one and the other nine. What do they do? Do they drive a taxi or whatever? (laughs) I often wonder where they are, you know.
0: (laughs) I think for those listening, it is a difficult world but it's a well you can succeed in it i think you do have you do have to have a lot of tenacity you have to keep going at it and determination uh, and you have to re spin things i'm sure with the grants that were not successful but you eventually succeeded you must have you must have sold it in a slightly different way next time to get that funding
1: yeah well i'm the la- i'm probably the last person who can seriously complain about grants i mean i, I mean also here in, in frankfurt yeah. so i mean i got we got so much money yeah and i think i really think we took we used it we spent it very well yeah and uh but um there was a kind of basic funding yeah so i did not have to go to somebody to somebody's lab and tell them that i had uh, invented this fantastic microscope and we can now look at bugs in a completely different way so i didn't have to convince a biologist or a physicist or an engineer yeah i just did what i thought was right yeah <laughs> yeah and um so that of course helps yeah I, and i'm actually convinced that it is absolutely essential <laughs> that's that's what i'm afraid of you know that in the end that's the only way you can really do science yeah yeah if you permanently have to work and wait i mean janilia farm is exactly is more or less following this yeah yeah no grants. If you have a good idea, you go to your boss, and he says, "Well, I will give you so and so much money." And that was it was Emble like. Emble was like, you know, I, said, well, I have this nice idea, but I need somebody, and I found somebody. Uh, yeah, I went to to Leonard Philipson, who was a PH uh, director at that time, and he would say, "Well, okay, I think that's a good idea." And by the time you went back to your lab, he had already told the HR department to to employ this person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or even I remember when we purchased the first laser, which at that time was also around 100, uh, f- uh, two photon laser was around 150,000 euro uh, D mark at that time. Yeah, I mean you just went there, talked to him. You didn't write any text. Yeah, you tried. You talk. You told him what was possible, and he said, "Okay, do it." And then, yeah, and 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 then you move ahead quickly. Yeah, and the others they apply for the laser, and then it takes them two years, and then they and by that time. We had already published. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. uh, and maybe we'll see the times change, uh, and and more of those type of facilities, uh, institutes, come no, forward. I have no it- hope.
1: I'd be very surprised, and unless you find a private person who funds your your research, then maybe you can do that, but not with public money. Yeah. They're all, and the the administration is is increasing is. and increasing and increasing. It's it's worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I mean, in the past, you just did your work, you went home, or you stayed in the lab for the night. And now you have to keep a timesheet. Yeah, and the timesheet is maybe only valid from eight o'clock in the morning until uh, I don't know seven o'clock, six o'clock in the evening. Yeah, because um, if you if you stay there longer, then you are not following all the rules. Whatever.
0: <laughs> so, so let's be honest. Do you really stick to those hours?
1: To which hours? Yeah, precisely. Yeah, but uh, but I, I'm, I'm just saying that you have a timesheet which does not allow you does not allow you maybe to enter a different time or so. I, I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating this, but you get the idea. Yeah? yeah, yeah. So people expect you to to work office hours, and they, yeah.
0: It, it, it's not just the office hours. It, it's the ability to be innovative and risky within and not jeopardize your career because it's only three years worth of funding. You know, EMBL, uh, Janelia, you have longer term positions there which gives you a chance to be more risky uh, over that time, because something will succeed if you're good. Something will succeed over that time frame. And I think that's, that's a model that's really good and one that hopefully will be mirrored in more places. So as you say, we need people who've got the funds to invest because it's often not from government funds. It's got to come from private sources. Yes. And there, are, there is real opportunity for people to make an impact there. Uh, just like Janelia as one very good example so we have actually been speaking I think for an hour so I have to ask some quick questions I always do what do you drink coffee or tea
1: tea, tea? actually I do both but in the mornings it's always tea
0: yeah, well, yeah. cold tea I'm not cold sure tea? I like it no, no, no. I,
1: I don't drink iced tea or something like this no yeah.
0: beer or wine
1: actually both yeah depends on the depends I would say on the on the heart on the yeah, on the season yeah.
0: Red or white wine.
1: Probably also both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. whiskey or gin. This is an obvious answer.
1: Actually, also both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no way. I always have a
1: bottle of gin here. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I think your virtual background is probably just hiding a whole drinks cabinet of all sorts of things. Uh, we
1: we always have about seven different um, whiskeys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, and I, I think you mentioned you do not watch much t v uh, so would you rather read a book or watch t v to to chill out um again,
1: i would probably do both yeah so, so it depends
0: what, so on t v what what sort of t v do you watch
1: i i prob i mean i i probably watch uh science fiction movies okay. a lot yeah so the last ones that i watched was Tenet, which oh, i found
0: I haven't seen really it yet. I haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah, but I, I find it was, I thought it was really, 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 really clever. I was really impressed. And then the other one that I just watched at the moment is on Amazon. It's um, The Expanse.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but it's more from because I'm desperate. There's nothing better.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> about as
1: far as it goes.
0: Yeah. And, and because I, I, I haven't looked at the clock here, I'm sorry. Uh, I've got to ask, what is your best science joke?
1: My best science joke? I, I have to say the only one that I remember is um, is uh, the one that Ernst Ludwig Florin once told me it was, and I think he he brought it from Munich at that time, and that was something like, um, "What does a bio when a biophysicist uh, talks to a physicist, he talks about biology, and when he talks to a biologist, he talks about physics, and what to, do two biologists uh, biophysicists talk about? Women." Yeah. Oh,
0: <laughs> well, you asked for it. Yeah, so. You're right; it wasn't politically correct. <laughs> but yes, we get the uh, the stereotypical joke. <laughs> you get
1: the stereotypical joke, and yeah, because we never knew any any female biophysicists at that time, let's face it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and thank goodness times have changed on that front. Uh, so cool.
1: That's that's the politically correct statement. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> But it is, and you just got to go back on I mean, Petra Schwiller is, is truly inspirational. Uh, and actually Petra was on that same teaching on the same course as yourself uh, back at uh, EMBL back in 2002. I think.
1: <laughs> and you still remember the year. So I, I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. You no,
0: know, I've just gone wrong. It's 2001. it's when remember son was born. Because I, I,
1: I mean, I've, I've been doing these courses. I think the first course we ever did was in 1988. I'm not quite sure.
0: Yeah, Of course I remember. It was truly inspirational. Yeah, I, yeah. It was, it was. I had. It gave me so much energy. It showed me that where, where my career should go. Uh,
1: I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pleased to hear that, really.
0: Yeah. It was brilliant. Anyway, on that note, Ernst, thank you very much for being so honest and open. It's been great to catch up with you. Uh, <clears throat> this whole podcast series was actually thanks to a chat with yourself over coffee, uh, at Elmi in Dublin, and also uh, with Scott Fraser, and just listening to inventing time machines and things like that. I think it's just great for people to hear about the science, the scientists behind the science, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Uh, and and you have you've been brilliantly entertaining. So uh, thank you very much.
1: Okay, okay. I, I, I'll probably not watch it for another year or so because uh, I'm well.
0: Yeah, no I don't problem. enjoy
1: watching myself on these movies. I have to say, <laughs> <I wouldn't laughs> or in these you <laughs> Sorry, but uh, sorry. I
0: wouldn't call it a movie. If yeah, not
1: it. a movie. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, on a, on a, I don't know. What is it? No, it's a movie in a certain sense. Or it used to be a movie. Maybe yeah. Yeah. something's moving at least. Yeah. yeah.
0: Ernst, thank you very much.
1: Thank you all very much. Yeah. Right. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Microscopists a Bite Size Bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the dash microscopists.